Uh, today is a continuation of last month's presentation of normal uterine bleeding. Last month we talked about uh, basics, actually. So we're going to do some review, eventually through some questions and diagrams, and then we'll do some cases. Uh, talk about PCOS. Start by uh, reminding you that by uh, abnormal uterine bleeding is two categories. One is called <clears throat> dysfunctional physiologic, and the other is called organic. Organic would be endometrial polyps, cancer, infection. Uh, dysfunctional is physiologic and uh, two most common are menarche and menopause because most women go through menarche and menopause. <clears throat> the two ones that we deal with outside of menarche and menopause are uh, <clears throat> polycystic ovary syndrome and insulin resistance. That's kind of where we're going to today on these last two right here. By going quickly through some questions. We have uh, a handout and different definitions, vocabulary that we will be using. Coming back at all. last time. So we're just going to go over this once again. The menstrual cycle is divided into two uh, halves, so to speak. Actually, five halves. First half of the cycle, looking at the endometrium, is called right? because the endometrial cells are proliferating. 
second half is called Supertory. That's because the endometrium now maturing and preparing to receive a fertilized egg. So proliferative secretory. If you look at the ovaries, talk about follicular first half. That's when the follicles are made. We said there each cycle there are about 15 to 20 follicles formed. One of them wins out and becomes the follicle that makes the egg for that cycle. Then ovulation, the second half is luteal, corpus luteum form. That's the second half of the cycle. Fourth uh, point here is the first three days of the cycle, because the first three days of the cycle, the estrogen is at its lowest. Also important that the, if you're going to start a birth control pill, it starts the first three days of the cycle because if it's beyond the first three days of the cycle, the birth control pill will unlikely not will likely not capture that cycle and uh, ovulation will occur. There's a rise in estrogen leading to an LH surge. Which surge leads to ovulation, drop in estrogen, rise in progesterone. Progesterone stops the mitotic activity of the first half of the cycle so that these cells can mature. Secretory, if there's no implantation, there's a progestin withdrawal, and progestin withdrawal causes menstruation. Yes. Dr. Calvert, what do you do when someone has very irregular periods and they want to start birth control, but they don't like they don't know when their next period is going to happen? You start it. You can start it. You just have to advise them that they could, you know, get pregnant. Okay. The cycle. So time they start, the time they. Menstruate from the birth control pill. This particularly just uh, particularly important because we have low dose birth control pills, fifteen micrograms, twenty five micrograms. It is very important to start at this point in time because if you don't, you're going to lose control of that cycle because there's so little estrogen. Birth control pills. That makes sense. Thirty fives, not so much of a problem, but the very, very low dose estrogen is a problem. Any questions about this? Please. All you, all you have to do is just print it in your brain. Okay. And because if you do, it's going to make your G, your GYN will be easier. Now we come to this artistic presentation. Okay, so there's a connection between the hypothalamus and the ovary. <coughs> hypothalamus uh, releases GNRH, which 
stimulates pituitary LH and FSH released. So the first day of the cycle, estrogen is as lowest. So this hypothalamus pituitary sees a low level of estrogen and LH is secreted. LH comes down and causes androgen to be formed in the ovary, which is then transferred into estrogen. And this estrogen begins to rise. As the estrogen rises, then FSH comes in. So FSH is a result of rising estrogen. LH is a result of no estrogen. Okay. FSH is responsible for, for follicle uh, development. And, uh, we, and also increases the transfer of androgen from cell to cell and the conversion of androgen to estrogen. FSH. Testosterone release goes to the skin, the hair follicles goes to the liver. And in the liver, the testosterone, high levels of testosterone drive down sex hormone binding globulin. High levels of estrogen increase sex hormone binding globulin. So birth control pills, because they're high levels of estrogen, are going to be associated with high levels of sex hormone binding globulin and is gonna bind testosterone. That's gonna be something that's gonna be important when we talk about polycystic ovary syndrome. Any questions? Okay, so this is Some of you will remember this from last time. What is MINORP? The onset of menstruation. Onset of menstruation. So it's about a week or a month or a year or no. one point in time. First one day, day of your first menstrual period. First period. It's not, it doesn't go beyond that. So, why do you want to observe a young lady who's having irregular period another six months? We want to observe because remember that it takes two years for the physiology to stabilize. So we would expect a certain percentage of young girls to have irregular periods for two years. If we get involved in giving birth control pills or other, way, other means of controlling those periods, then we're gonna upset this attempt to physiologically uh, regulate. So, so we don't wanna jump in and, and do that.
so there are two points here. One that you want to explain. One is that the average age of onset of perimenopause is 45. I don't know how many times in my office I've women have asked me that question. It's kind of a, important to remember. It gives them some, something to fall back on. The other important um, point is that the onset of perimenopause is defined by the onset of irregular periods. It's not by hot flushes or night sweats, it's irregular periods. Now, what do we mean by an irregular period? It can be irregular in interval, they miss a period. It can be irregular in flow. Woman has more or less regular flow, and then all of a sudden, usually it's a heavy period, a light period. So it can be either flow or interval. It can be duration of flow or amount of flow, both. So again, this is another point that's helpful in talking to ladies. If the average age of onset is 52, age 54, 90% of women have gone through menopause and become menopausal. What do you have to do to become menopausal? You have to not have a menstrual period for how long? One year. So if you have a lady come into your office and she says, it's been 11 months since I had my period and I had one last month, menopausal, sorry. Is that arbitrary? Yes, in a way it is arbitrary, but it, it is a definition that is working. So, uh, Average 52, 54, 90%. Dr. So, um, do you say that her menopause was the age then one year after her last period, or do you document it? Do you document it as like her last period? Uh, like she started menopause one year after her last period. So, that's the age that you say she's the menopause. First day of her last period. No, one year after. 12 months. That's why I say she come in and she had a period at month 11. You can't say that she's menopausal. Well, that also means that you don't like, you wouldn't do workup for abnormal uterine bleeding because it's still. You know, also postmenopausal bleeding. Yeah. You wouldn't work up postmenopausal bleeding because she's not postmenopausal. Now, there, ex there are exceptions to that. Um, she has marked obesity. Because marked obesity is a risk factor for endometrial cancer. And uh, you can see people who have marked obesity having menstrual periods out in 56, 57, 58, 60. But the question is, is that a period or is that their endometrial hyperplasia? Right? Be difficult. So what do you do? 
and endometrial biopsy. Okay. So, is there any questions to the biopsy? And, uh, you all should be able to do biopsies. Okay, so what are your thoughts here? What are you thinking about? Are there other questions you'd like to ask or differential based on you read up there? Any infection? Infection. Okay, so the infection might cause this. Can't it cause irregular? What's what's what we call this? Well, we have to give this a name. Sort of now, don't we? Is it perimenopausal? Is it polymenorrhea? It's irregular in duration or frequent. Don't have enough information. Is it irregular in duration, frequency, or volume? You can ask those questions. Is, would you more or less think it's physiologic? Just on that? In an age range, it could be perimenopausal. Yes. So that's probably what I would think of first. He has no other symptoms. Does that worse than dysmenorrhea? So we recommend with the leads. This again is very common during perimenopause. Ladies like to like to be regular. They're, um, especially uh, especially if they're very busy, they've got busy jobs or they're taking care of kids. They want to be able. They want to They will ask, "What can I do to get them regular?" And birth control pills is what you. Now, if you're going to pick a birth control pill, what should what would you pick? We talked about birth control pills. You got a choice, right? You got very low dose. You got 35. Is there any concern about age and birth control pills? What is that concern? Endometrial hypertension and 
So you want to, and what causes that in the birth control pill? Another estrogen. So what do you would you like to prefer to do in a person 50? Something that's low. Lowest dose estrogen you can. Right. I have a question about this clinical scenario. So if we start our patient on a low estrogen OCP to help get her periods to be more regular, at what point would we kind of maybe at what point would we withdraw those to see if she stops having period? Like, what does that moving forward look like? So I would want to know when she started. Because the average average duration perimenopause is four years. Okay. Oh, okay. So if this just started when she turned 50, she would have another four years or so. But if it started when On she average. was 48. Right. So okay. You would talk to her about it. Okay. So at age 54, you, you would take her off her pills for a month or two okay. and see what happens. And uh, you may find out too soon and you start her back for another year and then each year take her off the pills for a period of time. Any other questions? <clears throat> so in a way this is the same scenario except what the history of DVT. The DVT. So what are we concerned about? Don't give her estrogen. Don't give her estrogen, right? What's she having? What are her symptoms? Neuralgia. So that can enter into you, right? So what, what would uh, you think? D. D. Normalized progesterone only. Okay, so you, you avoid the problem with mm -hmm. hypercoagulability, right? What else? What how else does that help? Does it help her menorrhagia? Yes, it thins yeah. the lining of the endometrium. Okay, so it helps her menorrhagia because progestin does what the endometrium. We talked about it, stops it from dividing, right? So what about the dysmenorrhea? Okay. Dysmenorrhea is prostaglandins. Where are prostaglandins made? The first years. Prostaglandins are made in endometrial cells. So if you thin the endometrium, what are you going to do to the prostaglandin? Decreases. So what are you going to do to the dysmenorrhea? Decrease it. See the miracle drugs that we have as gynecologists. <laughs> okay. I'm just trying to see it. Let you apply the physiology to the management. Okay. Not only are you avoiding the hypercoagulation, you're also helping with dysmenorrhea and with some menorrhagia.
So what is the cause of the irregular periods in following Menarche? Hypothalamus, ovary, what's the cause? The relationship between the two, right? So what's the cause? Menopause it has nothing to do with the cycle, as do the fact that the eggs are not working. All of the good eggs have been used up. <clears throat> and FSH no longer can stimulate. Number two categories, physiologic, organic. <clears throat> Not a So usually, usually what will we do with the situation? This lady who comes in first time, you miss period. Pregnancy. What do we usually do? Pregnancy. Pregnancy test first. Okay. Negative. What else? Hyperthyroid. Hyperthyroid. Thyroid. It's normal. Good. I mean, these are good things you're saying. If you have diabetes. No. Resistance. Problem. Well, maybe she's just like in the. Surprisingly, you take a history. <laughs> Did this happen to her mom? You could, you could ask. When did her mother go through menopause, perimenopause? Let's just say you take a history, you do all labs, and, and you don't find anything. <clears throat> what would you do? Screening for depression. Well, what you would do is have her do a master flow sheet. If there's a pattern. So, so usually if you have a person come in with one episode of a missed period, you don't throw the kitchen sink at them, okay? You just have them do a menstrual flow sheet. It may be, for most women, it's a, it's a one-off. It happens, never happens again, okay? The unusual thing here is this has gone on for, for 10 weeks. Usually, in the scenario I was trying to say, it's just one period. Come in, they miss a period, then they have a period. They're concerned. Why did they miss it? So they come in and talk to me. 
But this has been going on 10 minutes. So would you like to ask any questions? Historical questions. Clinical history. Have you ever taken Pardon? Has you ever taken oral contraceptive pills? Okay. She's taking pills of any sort of taking pills of any sort of Recent weight loss. Pardon? Recent weight loss. Weight loss? Okay, what what about weight loss? Uh, well, whether or not it's intentional or not, um, <coughs> I would be wondering about uh, anxiety or life stressors. Okay. Life stressors like? Our three kids. Going to medical school, being a first year resident. All the things that we do every single day. What are some life stressors? Someone died. Right. Someone died in the family, a child, divorce, financial difficulties, okay. illness. All those are stressors. Um, ICU, women in, women in ICUs don't menstruate. Women so the answer is yes, she had a stressor. What's, what do you ask next? When did she have her stressor? Well, it was last year. Any relationship with that? Well, it was about nine weeks ago and started and it lasted almost a month. Oh, so. <laughs> well, what do you think? How about that? Hypothalamic amenorrhea. Mm -hmm. Hypothalamus pituitary ovary. Amenorrhea. You will see that in your practice. I guarantee it. Only reason you will miss it is because you fail to ask the question. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it can, it, the intensity varies from person to person. You know, some people have to have financial difficulties, the child died and divorced. Some are sick for five days and really sick. But you, what you'll also see is they may come in and they say, my period was late. Okay, they didn't miss a period, it was late. Same thing. Well, the important about, thing about hypothalamic amenorrhea is there aren't a lot of labs you can order. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then that means you can't pull out your phone. You have to use your head and do it. Mm -hmm. This is it. Right? The hypothalamus feeds into the food. It's connected. A head injury. 
Question, Dr. Calvert. So how does that stress response affect the hypothalamus, causing to miss the periods? What's the physiology behind it? Magic, the nerve. <laughs> Don't ask me which nerves because it's been too long ago since I... It's a blob. <laughs> it feeds into the hypothalamus and suppresses it. Did cortisol play a See, like elevated cortisol, you may. But again, see, you're you're going, you're jumping to a lab. Why? Why? Do patients like to have proof. Like, they, what? Like, why did something bad happen? Like, patients always come in these situations and go, Well, can you check my hormone levels? And you're like, No. Well, then you can cause anemia. <laughs> no, but it may increase your RVUs. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> get them RVUs. Yeah, they take me along. Actually, Jenna, blood loss anemia. I watch Okay, so <clears throat> any questions you'd like to ask? Studies you'd like to do? MRI, total body, <laughs> CT, <that's> scan. <laughs> How long has she had the IUD? Second, go check my records. <laughs> Five years. Mm -hmm. Did anything happen a year ago? Like life things, not life thing, you know. No, no stressors. Well, she gained 15 pounds. Any recent psychotic episodes? A year ago. And she has diabetes in the family. So she have that. We have a history of gestational diabetes, 
No. No. She had her babies when she was in her 20, 21, 22, 23. Urinary frequency or polydipsia or polyuria. Just had a weight gain. What about, did she have depression? No, no. Constipation, no. hair loss. Wait, what? Hair loss. Hair loss. The virus studies are normal. No. Yeah. <laughs> Just have weight gain. Any hair growth? Do you have abnormal hair growth? Ursitism. Yeah. Oh, ursitism. Oh, no. Not that she's complaining of. I haven't done an exam yet, but not that she's complaining of. Bruising. She has what we call chronic anovulation. Chronic anovulation. Dr. Kelbert, can um, the IUD sometimes make your periods irregular as well? Or is it because it's good if they're if they're <clears throat> hormonal? But not the copper one. Copper doesn't affect that. <clears throat> And so she has what we call chronic anovulation. The two most common causes of chronic anovulation are PCOS and insulin resistance. So <clears throat> what would be your next step? Check an A1C. Next step is to check her for PCOS and insulin resistance. we can do <laughs> okay, we're going to talk more about that in a minute in PCOS what happens is the ovary fails to respond to the LH so it does not produce androgen it does not produce estrogen it does not produce estrogen there's no FSH you just have this cycle of increasing production of testosterone. Testosterone does what to sex hormone binding globin? Increases the basis. And so, how much testosterone do you have bound? Not a lot. That's less, right? So, you've got increasing amounts being produced, decreasing amounts being bound.
you can see chronic anovulation present in a number of ways. You can have it present from the time of menarche, <coughs> where people never has regular periods. Your regularity goes beyond two years. You can have it present as the last patient. They're in their 30s, they've had kids without any problems. Now they've gained enough weight, now they have chronic anovulation. Or it can happen like this, it just gradually gets worse over time. Three things that you look at for poly currently for polycystic ovary syndrome, irregular menstrual periods, polycystic ovaries on ultrasound, elevated free testosterone. Those are the three things. You have to have two of the three to make the diagnosis. Have any two of B, C, and D, and that will make your diagnosis. You have just one, it's not. Covered out of the three, I think one of the criteria also is uh, clinical evidence of hirsutism or increased testosterone, not necessarily the lab value of high testosterone. Is that correct? No, that's not correct. That was correct five years ago. Fifteen years ago was an LF FSH LH FSH ratio. Mm -hmm. Currently, it's just these three. Next year may be something different. For instance, we went through a phase where instead of having elevated pre-testosterone, we just had elevated testosterone. Then it, then it moved to elevated pre-testosterone. I think the reason why Justin's asking that is because we just had an ITE question um, on, on PCOS where they counted signs of androgenism like hirsutism and stuff clinically as enough to qualify for PCOS as two of the three, but we like family medicine, we might be behind or something, so. No, but you count the hairs in a square inch or something. <laughs> I don't know, they just had like extra hairs. I guess I'll do the question if you want. I think, I think you may have PCOS. <laughs> Google that you can do it. It's fun, but it's not the gynecologist term we use. How do you do that in Orientals? How many Orientals have hair Decreased number of hair follicles. Italians have a lost hair. I have a twin girl and a twin boy. Which one of them has the most hair follicles? Oh, the boy. Same. Equal. 
testosterone that makes this so these are your three criteria currently, Now you're saying why B and C above? We just talked about one, the testosterone. The reason we're talking about is 30 to 80% of women who have chronic anovulation or PCOS have insulin resistance. So you have insulin resistance by itself, PCOS by itself, and then you have a combination. So there's gonna have insulin resistance, PCOS or both. When I see these folks, I get test, I test for PCOS, and I test for insulin resistance. These are some other findings that occur in, uh, in PCOS. So the best I would order would be some decent pre-testosterone. What are the findings up here? They're pregnant. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> oh. yes. I just didn't hear. Yeah. That's not well, cystic ovaries re uh, requires 15, 10 to 15. This is not measurement polycystic ovaries. This is a polycystic ovary. You have pearls. All these are cysts. Okay. Upper free testosterone. Abnormal or normal? Normal. 
Insulin resistance test. In a fasting, you give them get your get your fasting blood. Give them glucola. Two hours later, do the glucose and insulin again and do the ratios. Almost greater than four point five. So is this is she abnormal fasting or is she abnormal two hour postprandial? It's both. Okay. <clears throat> We've seen what we see here with this person is they have both insulin resistance and they have PCOS by, by definition. Which one is the dominant one? Let me try to tell easily. Dominant insulin resistance. She, she, this is a 12 hour fasting. Even fasting 12 hours, she can't get her insulin ratio back to normal. So why is that important? Because if you're going to treat her, you're going to treat her for insulin resistance, not for the DOS. Okay. The insulin resistance, if the free testosterone was dominant, then you would treat her for insulin resistance. Oh, yeah. We won't go right through any more slides. Just need to ask you two questions. So, what's a treatment for PCOS? What's the primary treatment for PCOS? OTPs, weight loss, weight loss. Okay. Yes, you care. What's the primary risk for PCOS? Sorry. Endometrial hyperplasia from chronic. Endometrial hyperplasia, right. And so how do you how do you guard against or protect against endometrial hyperplasia when somebody has PCOS? Stimulate regular cycles. They don't have to be regular. They have to be one, one or two a year. Regular cycles is 10 years old. It's 10 years ago. You need to at least empty the uterus twice a year. And if you want to do infertility, you're going to have to do ovarian stimulation. Okay, what about insulin resistance? What's the risk of insulin resistance? Diabetes. What's, okay, so what's the treatment of insulin resistance? Hormone. And the trend now is, is moving more towards treating everybody with insulin resistance to metformin. Used to be you would treat with metformin only if you wanted to get pregnant in more regular periods. But the link between diabetes and insulin resistance becoming stronger. And so metformin will decrease the insulin. Decrease the testosterone, allow them to ovulate. And I've had people get pregnant within three or four months after they start back on. Worked pretty quick. 
you have any questions. Thank you for your attention. Question, Albert. So in patients with PCOS that want to get pregnant, primary care doctors, would we ever start clomid or things like that? So people with PCOS who want to get pregnant, would, would the primary care physicians, family med doctors, what is our role in? I'll tell you a secret if you don't tell anybody else. I give them four to six months of continuous birth control pills. What does that do? Birth control pills has estrogen. Do the sex hormone binding on it? Increases it. What's that going to do the testosterone? Decreases it. Decrease it, right? You're decreasing the testosterone. Remember, this testosterone prevents ovulation. So you do that, and then you stop. And usually, with usually, <clears throat> if they're going to get pregnant, they'll get them pregnant within three months because you suppress the testosterone enough that you usually will get two or three months of ovulation. So you can try that. Otherwise, you need to fertility. For stimulation. That doesn't work. Can we, as family doctors, give them clomid or resolve? Sure. <laughs> Internal. <laughs> you can do it. It's, it's complicated. It's not. Don't get hyperstimulation of the ovary. Thank you.